Well, thank you again for the invitation to bring God's word. His word, my hope secures. We were just singing. And that's very much in keeping with the theme of the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. But again, thank you for the invitation to bring this word to you. Um, Andy and I are in a little group of um, church leaders who have met for some years now uh, for breakfast once a month to support each other and to pray for each other. And it's out of that relationship that I come here, really, to be with you this morning. Um, And I think it's good that you know that your pastor and other pastors like myself are in such supportive relationships with one another. And uh, we have a great laugh. My my children call us the laughing vicars um, because uh, uh, we're normally found laughing as well as sharing each other's sorrows and praying for one another. Anyway, uh, we're going to go to uh, Acts again because that's the uh, book that you're in at the moment and you've been tracking over these last weeks and we're going to continue to track the experiences of the Apostle Paul as recorded here. So we're going to Acts 22 and we're picking the story up at verse 22. We're going to read through to chapter 23, verse 11. So Acts 22, verse 22. We're in the middle of a speech by Paul, who has asked for a moment before he's taken off to the barracks by the soldiers who have come to actually rescue him from the rioting crowd. He's asked if he could have one more opportunity to speak to this hostile crowd. And so we pick it up at Acts 22, verse 22, and it says, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. This, by the way, was a reference to Jesus being crucified and their part in that. He's in Jerusalem. You could imagine they didn't take too kindly to his reference to what they'd done to Jesus. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He ordered that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he'd put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and set him before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, 
my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this point, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Incredibly powerful words. I am with you, says Jesus. But this is only just the start of both the opportunity to be an ambassador for Jesus and the trouble that will come your way for being so. That's the context for this passage. Over the last weeks, you have watched Paul travel around the eastern end of the Mediterranean. He's been through Greece and parts of modern-day Turkey. He's been on board ship and eventually landed in the Israeli port of Caesarea, a place I was privileged enough to visit for the first time back in September of last year. And from Caesarea to do the journey, which I also did by coach, which I guess was considerably more comfortable than it was for him, the 76 miles from Caesarea back into Jerusalem. In all these locations... Paul had a single aim, to make Jesus known, to make his saviour known, to make the son of God, the one who came to pay the price for our sins, known to everybody he could possibly tell about. Some of the time he was speaking to Greeks and Jews who didn't yet believe in Jesus as saviour and lord. Back in Corinth, we read in Acts 18, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Some of the time, he was speaking to Greeks who didn't yet believe in Jesus. Acts 18, verses 7 and 8, then Paul left the synagogue 
the Jews, and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. Jews he was speaking to, Greeks he was speaking to, and some of the time he was speaking to those who were already followers of Jesus who had a kind of baby faith in Christ, but needed to grow in their knowledge of him. So again in Acts 18, back in there, verse 23, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So sometimes he's speaking to people who are not followers of Christ and perhaps know very little about who Jesus was and why he died on the cross. Other times he's speaking to believers and nurturing their faith. But all the time he is making Jesus known. The witness to Christ then always got Paul into trouble at some point or another. He suffers attacks and arrests and trials and riots. My question, and it's a very important question this morning, is... Does your exercise of making Jesus known to others get you into trouble? I don't mean get you into trouble for being an idiot, because we Christians can be idiotic sometimes. We can go blundering in to people's lives or express uh, something about Jesus or our faith in him when the time is not yet right. But I mean, as we sensitively and as we carefully look for the leading of the Holy Spirit and as we make Jesus known in our home where we live in our place of work amongst our friends have we experienced some form of rejection some form of opposition because it's going to be very difficult to relate to Paul and what he's going through and yes he does have a particular ministry to be this apostle this a very public ambassador for Jesus. And that's not your calling and it's not mine. But it is our calling to make Jesus known as we go, in every setting. Are you known to be a Christian in every setting of your life? And has it at some point brought you some sort of opposition, hostility or rejection? If it hasn't, I would question, and I think scripture would question, whether you are truly being open about your witness to Jesus. Because the revelation, not just of this passage, but of scripture in general, is that there will always be some hostility at some point. Not from everybody, but there will be some opposition and rejection. Taking it right down to home, uh, I I was brought up in a Christian family uh, by a mum and dad who loved Jesus. I was taken along to church from the very beginning of my life. There's never been a period in my life where I've not known about Jesus and I came to then know him very personally as my own Lord and Saviour. Alison, on the other hand, my wife who's sitting here with me, uh, doesn't come from a Christian home and background. And when she first showed interest and then eventually as a teenage girl became a Christian, her mum and dad were very hostile towards her and made it very hard for her. Made it hard for her to go out and leave the family who were busy cleaning the house and cooking the Sunday lunch to go to church on a Sunday morning. Just 
small things compared to what Paul is facing here. But there was hostility. There was rejection. There was uh, an opposition to her witness to following Jesus. So you, if we are being faithful to Jesus, will know this at some point. And the messages that God has for us this morning are for our security and hope. Paul always found love and care among his Christian brothers and sisters. Whenever he was facing the kind of opposition he faced, he found that amongst the Christians that they looked after him, that they prayed for him, that they encouraged him, and spoke into his life with prophetic words. They treated him with great warmth and deep affection. Outside, Paul often faced an icy blast of opposition, like the beast from the east. But many amongst the Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, he found the therapeutic fire of love and support. In Corinth, in Acts 18, again, going back to that chapter that I've quoted already, we read, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. In other words, the reassurance is, but my people are here too. And my people love me and love you, Paul. It was at the height of Paul's witness to Jesus in Ephesus that he decided to go back to Jerusalem, which was the epicentre of Christianity. The city where Jesus died and came back to life again, of course, the city where there was a vibrant church and which was home to the senior leaders of Christianity. Where Paul was in Ephesus... Actually, hundreds were coming to Christ and renouncing their sins and their pagan ways. We, res- we, we read of them uh, coming to faith in Christ. But in that setting, Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I knew I had to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Sure enough, as you saw, I think, last week, within a week of arriving in Jerusalem, the hostility arrived too. But as on every other occasion, This only opened the door for Paul to make the most of every occasion to speak of the grace and life-changing power of Jesus. He's arrested and, and he's being taken to the army barracks, but he asks the commander, as I said in my introduction to the reading, for the chance to speak to the crowd. They're crying, kill him! And he says, let me speak to them. In the first part of Acts 22, we read Paul's clear and powerful experience of coming to know Jesus for himself and having his life totally transformed. What a guy. And as we rejoin the action, 
we're partway through this defense to the crowd. I want us to see that Paul, as we do when we face opposition to our witness, walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We are never more close to Jesus than when we are facing such opposition. First of all, Paul is opposed exactly as Jesus was. Paul truly walks here in the footsteps of Jesus. You saw last week that leading up to the moments we look at this morning, Paul had faced a shouting crowd, as Jesus did. He'd been captured by the mob, as Jesus was. He experienced the hostility of the whole city. We're told the whole city was in uproar, as it was when Jesus was on the way to the cross. We read that Paul had been dragged off by the by now wild residents and beaten on the spot as Jesus was. And as I've said, to restore the peace and protect the victim, Paul, the military, intervened. Paul was arrested by soldiers, restraining him by two chains, hands and feet shackled as Jesus was. And he faced intense violence and intensifying shouts, increasing in their noise and their violence. Get rid of him, as Jesus did. And as we rejoined the scene, the crowd had actually listened, amazingly, to Paul's defense. If ever, ever there was a sign that God was at work, that was it. They had listened to him. That is until he told them, as I said, of his commission to take the good news about Jesus to non-Jews, to Gentiles. So offensive to the Jewish population of Jerusalem was this, that they restarted their passionate hostility towards Paul. In outrage and anger they shout, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live, verse 22. But it didn't stop there, as we read on. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As Jesus was. How like Jesus is all this hostile treatment? He was raged against as an undesirable outcast, physically and verbally abused as a victim, punished without justice, rejected as a criminal, condemned to die by popular demand, as Jesus was. Now I think we're shown this scene of violent opposition to Paul for several reasons. Firstly, because it underlines to us the authenticity of Paul's conversion. Remember the context of Paul's conversion. He was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, and more to the point, he was violently opposed to Jesus and to those who followed him. We read about Paul facing this opposition in part so that we understand he's thoroughly converted. He's absolutely an ambassador for Jesus. He loves Christ enough to go through this and to want to maintain his open and public witness to Jesus when being opposed. 
Paul really truly is a representative of Jesus. We can trust his apostleship. We can trust his leadership. We're seeing that as we see these scenes. Secondly, it highlights, of course to us, the offense of the good news. What we carry, this brilliantly good news that Jesus died for our sins, that God loves us. And loves us so much that he sent Jesus to the cross. This great news that we have is to some absolutely offensive. You maybe find that hard to imagine if you've been a Christian for many, many years. But it is deeply offensive. We are, as Paul wrote once, the absolute stench of death. If you've ever smelt rotting flesh, be it of an animal or worse of a human you will know what he's saying it's utterly repulsive to some whether it's just the inbuilt outrage that sin produces in people or whether it's the challenge that comes to them of who is really in charge or whether it's the disturbance of being told you are sick because when we say people are sinners that's what we're saying There are all the reasons in the world why somebody might react against the good news that we have to go on to share. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's why I asked you if you faced opposition of any kind, at whatever grade and whatever level, because everyone who's really living for Jesus will face it, 2 Timothy says. Or in 1 Timothy 4, verses 12 to 14, and verse 16, we read this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. I think he's covered the spectrum there, from murdering to meddling. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. These passages highlight the offense of the good news. They also illustrate true discipleship. You see, becoming like Jesus is our calling. And not just like the triumphant, victorious Jesus, as we will be but to enter into his sufferings, to go the same path that he trod. Didn't Paul say in Philippians, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, of course, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So, Paul was opposed just as Jesus was. Those who follow Christ will be opposed as Jesus was. Much more quickly, look though 
that he is sustained as Jesus was. The next thing to strike me, you see, in this section of Acts is God's sustaining power. The crowd tried to kill Paul, but soldiers arrived to intervene. God protects his man. The soldiers arrested Paul, but he asks the commander for the chance to speak to the hostile crowd. God gives Paul the desire to make the most of every opportunity. He's not going to be taken off to the barracks where he can't talk to the crowd. He wants to stand there. The crowd thundered their hostility towards Paul, but they became silent and listened when he spoke to them in Aramaic, verse 2 of chapter 22. God had been at work in Paul's life for years to equip him the right language for that moment. The Roman commander ordered Paul to be punished by flogging and interrogated by force, but right at that moment, did you read that with me? As he was being stretched out, probably vertically like this, and tied to some kind of beam so they could flog his back. As he was being stretched out, he calmly says, Are you doing this legally? I'm a Roman citizen. Paul, you see, was born in Tarsus, which was a designated Roman free city, and anybody born there was a Roman citizen. God had made sure that socially and politically Paul was safe in that moment. And the Roman commander sent Paul to the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin then to get the real reason for everyone's hostility to him. But Paul bewildered them, didn't he, with his wisdom. Notice how quickly they were themselves divided and unable to interrogate him. God gave Paul his script. The words to say, didn't Jesus say, on my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. We often refer to God at creation as bringing order out of chaos. But as we've just seen before the Sanhedrin, God through Paul brought chaos out of order. God does it. God. God sustained Paul as he did Jesus. The message is clear. When the heat is on, God is faithful. He will equip us to go on being his witness. And then notice that Paul persisted as Jesus did. A further thing that strikes me in all of this is Paul's grit and determination. Paul conducts himself. He's being carried off to the barracks for his own safety, but he begs for another chance to speak to the crowd. He's being threatened with death, but he refuses to be silenced. He's being stretched out to be flogged, and he calmly questions what the military is doing. He could have become tired of defending himself once he'd spoken to the crowd, but the next day he relishes the chance to speak and defend himself again to the Sanhedrin. Talk about tenacity. Talk about determination, about stamina, about perseverance and endurance. Paul is the supreme example of persistence. When you face mild or more serious opposition, do you just quietly go away? Now, maybe in one or two settings and in circumstances, 
perhaps a period of quiet is the right thing. But we are never, ever to be frightened into silence. Proverbs 24, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Hebrews, consider him who who, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. James 2, James chapter 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the test of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 8, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why all this encouragement to grit and determination? Because it's so easy to back down. It's so easy to be tempted to bail out and buckle under. To give up, cave in or do a Peter in the courtyard of the high priest and go missing when we're supposed to be an ambassador. God is looking to us, his people, for backbone. As he has done for years, those who will be, in the words of Moses, strong and courageous as we make Jesus known. He's looking for those who will open their hearts to him in moments of pressure and heat, who will open their hearts to his power and then stand and be strong. But as I close... I want you to notice one very different thing between Jesus and Paul's experience. That Paul was accompanied by Jesus every step of the way. Whereas as we know at the moment of his death, Jesus was abandoned even by his heavenly father. He had to be to pray the price of our rebellion and sin against God. But notice concerning Paul the wonderful thing that his experience that Jesus was with him all the way, that Jesus was with him in all his suffering, with him throughout every degree of hostility shown to him, with him no matter how brutal the words against him became or how violent the treatment he suffered escalated to become. There wasn't a moment when Paul wasn't accompanied by Jesus. He experienced the full reality of Christ's promise. Surely, I am with you to the very end of the age. It's never just you and those who oppose you. It's you and Jesus. This experience will be ours. When we encounter hostility for being a follower of Christ or for communicating the good news of his love and truth or for challenging the way the world is with the radically different values of the kingdom of God or we are rejected or ridiculed for loving Jesus or when we act as ambassadors to make Jesus known in our homes or with our friends or at school or college or in our places of work if we do a Paul and go to other religious establishments to make Jesus known If we do a Paul and we have the opportunity in the public arena 
as Paul did in marketplaces and amphitheatres and military barracks and law courts to make Jesus known. And opposition comes our way. The truly wonderful thing is we shall always, always, always have Jesus with us. Our experience will be that of Paul as expressed in Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we've seen that like Jesus, Paul was opposed. That like Jesus, he was sustained. That like Jesus, he persisted. But unlike Jesus, he was accompanied to the very extreme and always. The lesson for our passage this morning is this. We must take our stand. We must maintain our stand. We must not buckle under opposition. We must be faithful to the loving God who has this message of life that although some feel with a smell of death, even amongst them, there can become those to whom we are the aroma of life. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity of coming into your word and digging into it this morning. Thank you that through your word we have life, that we don't live on just by bread alone, by the kind of food we're going to have for our lunches in a while but we really live by this food, the food of your word. Father, thank you that in this congregation you will have encouraged some I know who have been having a really hard time for standing for Jesus and standing up for him. Really strengthen those hearts, Lord, further by your spirit in the light of your word. And to those of us who perhaps are not facing the heat of opposition just at this moment, we pray that when it comes, the word, this word, will produce and secure hope in us and a knowledge that, Jesus, you are with us. We pray, therefore, that we will be given by your Holy Spirit the same confidence, the same eager opportunity to make the most of every occasion that Paul was. And so go on in our day, making Jesus known and bringing others to know him as we have done. We pray these things in your name. Amen.